Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. Essentially, what Paul says is, well, God won't, and the devil can't. And once you know that, then there is no one who can take away your salvation. Now, the reason we're, we're talking about it at this point is that uh, Paul has been working his way through the gospel, and we've been doing that with him in the book of Romans. Uh, we've seen that we're all sinners, we're all worthy of the wrath of God, but God has shown us his righteousness in Christ Jesus and made that righteousness available to us because of his grace we appropriated by faith, the same kind of faith that Abraham had. And as a result of that, we are justified. We are made right with God on the basis of faith, simply trusting and accepting what God has promised in Christ Jesus. And so because of that, because we're justified by grace, we have peace with God. We have a relationship with our Creator God, our Father in heaven. Now, the question becomes, well, what does that mean? How does that work out? Does that mean that God doesn't care about sin, that you go ahead and sin all you want because grace then abounds? And, and Paul says, I don't think so. Um, what, what, in, in chapter 6, he says, in point of fact, sin is incompatible with the Christian nature. It is not that uh, you have to avoid sin in order to earn God's grace. It is because of God's grace saving us as unworthy as we are from our sin. Because of that, then we avoid sin, and we don't want to sin because we now live by the power of the resurrection, not in the flesh. Well, then, what happens in our lives? Because we look at ourselves and we realize the good things that we would like to do, we don't do them. And the bad things that we want to avoid, those very things we do. And we come to this conclusion. You remember it. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? And the answer is, thanks be to God. God is the one who delivers us. And therefore, there is no condemnation. There's no guilty verdict that is put upon those who are in Christ Jesus. And we have the evidence of that by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit that comes in and teaches us to say, Abba, Father, when we're talking to God. Teaches us to rely upon him as our Father in heaven. And then he goes on to say, and the Holy Spirit works in, in, in our lives and draws us uh, to follow in the footsteps of Christ. And then ultimately what Paul says is, is that, therefore, you know, we're, we're saved in Christ Jesus. And then he has this interesting phrase a few verses into chapter 8. He says, we will uh, be glorified with him if we suffer with him. Now, this creates a problem because what, what he's talking about is we're saved and so we're justified, but then we have glorification out there. And Paul says we, we are glorified in Christ if we suffer. So between where I am now and the glory that will be ours in heaven, there's a life to go on and that life is filled with suffering. 
That life is filled with adversity. It's filled with trial and tribulation and those kinds of things. And so the question comes up, how am I going to get from where I am to where God wants me to be? Because some people have uh, an idea about this, that God saves you by grace, and he plunks you down in the world to live for Jesus, and then he says, go at it, I hope you make it. And the idea is that if you're good enough, and if you're religious enough, if you're Christian enough, that somehow you will get from that salvation experience and you'll wind up at the gates of heaven and you'll get glory, but in between there, you've got to work that out yourself. You've got to accomplish it all yourself. And Paul writes here in chapter 8 to remind us that to get from where we are to the glory of heaven, it's still the work of God. It's still the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so he says, uh, you know, when you look at it, that's our hope. That's what we're hoping for. He said, but understand, all the universe is hoping for this. You remember that? He says, all creation groans waiting for the revelation of the glory of the sons of God. He says, the entirety of the universe is rooting for that day, anxious for that day, when the glory of God will be revealed in his children and those who are believers in Jesus Christ, that day when it all, uh, all comes together, the universe is rooting for that day when the glory is revealed in us. And the Holy Spirit is working that. You say, well, that's great for the universe, but I don't know if I can make it. Paul says, ah, but you've got to understand this. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. See, the Father saves us. The Holy, the, the, Jesus shed his blood for us. The Holy Spirit is given to us. It's like God is doing all of this for us. And so the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't even know what's going on. We don't even know what to pray for. So what happens? The Holy Spirit is praying for us. The Holy Spirit is making intercession for us so that when we don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit knows good and well and is praying for us. And you can have an assurance that you will be brought from where you are today to the glory promised us in heaven. You can be sure of that because God foreknew us. Before the foundation of the world, before you were created, back in the eternity and depths of who God is, he knew us ahead of time. He foreknew us. And because he foreknew us, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his dear son. That's what God is doing in your life. That's, that's the purpose of your life. That's how God is going to glorify himself. He is conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And those whom he predestined, then he called. And when he called, then he justified us. And the interesting thing is that last word, he glorified us, is also in the past tense. It's in the past tense because it's a done deal. It is not in doubt. So all of God, he foreknew us, he predestined us, he called us, he justified us, he glorified us. This is everything that God is doing. So what are we going to say about all this? Is there somebody who can take away our salvation? Paul says God's not going to do it. In fact, what God did was he justified us. He declared us not guilty. Maybe there's somebody else who can accuse us. Maybe the devil can accuse us. He says, no, devil can't accuse us because Jesus Christ was condemned on our behalf and in our place. And that's where we were last week when we left it, and that was that there is no person, God won't, the devil can't, no one else can, take us from the love of God and take away our salvation. Now, this morning, we, we basically look at the idea of 
Well, are there circumstances that can take us away from God? You know, maybe there's something that can happen to us. And really, when you think about it, to say, is there a circumstance that can take away our salvation? You're really saying, is there something that could happen to us that would make us jump ship? Is there something that would make us bail out on God and we would reject that salvation and, and we would just take the easy path and, and not suffer the persecution, those kinds of things? Is there some circumstance that could drive the salvation out of us? And that's where Paul's going to say, well, actually, no, there isn't. I mean, you might look at trials and tribulations and persecutions. These, these words in the Greek, they, they, they're talking about the pressures of life, the, the, uh, the push of life to try to push us away from God. It's talking about the overt antagonism and hostility of people in persecution trying to drive us away from Christ. Later on, he'll say, is it, can life do that? Can the things of life be such that we, we abandon Christ? Can, can death itself, death is, is like a really big threat uh, to our lives. Can that take away salvation? He says, no, nope, that can't do it either. Then he'll talk about height and depth and, and angels and principalities. These were very real um, uh, things for the people of the first century. When you talk about angels and powers and principalities, you're, you were talking about the spiritual forces floating through the air that are working against the life of the believer. He says, maybe they can, can cause you to, to give up on Christ. He says, no, I don't think that either. And then uh, towards the end, it, he'll talk about and, and things present or things to come. You know, can, can time itself? Uh, no. And then then the, the, the words height nor depth is, is, is going to be in there. Uh, most people will tell you, well, that has to do with the dimensions of the universe. Can space take away your salvation? The interesting thing is those words height and depth in the first century, those were terms used in astrology. And we can't prove that this is what Paul had in mind, but somebody probably looked at that and said, yeah, he's talking about the, the, the course of the stars. You know, the height of the stars, you know, when they reach their zenith and the declination, the depth of the stars, you know, that's how we're going to chart what life is all about. It's about, all about, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, astrology. You know, maybe, maybe that's it. And so, um, in point of fact, uh, read your Shakespeare, the fault is not in our stars. If you didn't get that, you know, the saddest state of our education system today. But, but anyway, so as we, as we read this in just a moment, uh, we'll see that Paul just lists out, you know, just, just trying to cover every possible thing we could think of that might drive away our salvation. And at the end of it, he says, no, it's just not going to happen. When God loves us, he loves us for all eternity. When he saves us, he saves us for all eternity. When you are saved, God has saved you for all eternity eternity and that's the confidence and the boldness that we have so that that's where we are that's why we're reading what we're reading this morning uh, let's pick it up in verse 35 read to the end of the chapter and then who shall separate us from the love of Christ I, I should point out this I'm, I'm sorry but the, the phrase love of Christ in both Greek and in English can mean one of two things it can mean the love that we have for Christ we have a love for Christ or it can mean the love that Christ has for us. In this case, and it, it's the context that decides it, it is the love that Christ has for us. It is the love that he has bestowed upon us. And remember what that love is like. It went all the way to the cross for us. So, he says, what shall we say? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, 
for your sake we're being killed all the day long we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord Amen. let's pray together gracious father thank you for softening our hardened hearts so that we would open our hearts and receive jesus as lord Thank you for softening our hearts to the truth of the gospel when we were so impressed with our own wisdom and understanding and we needed to know that your wisdom is far greater than ours and, and the depths of your knowledge far exceeds ours. Thank you for softening our hearts to the working of your power when we were so self-reliant upon our own abilities and that you would do what we could never do, that you would pay the price for our sins. Thank you for softening our hearts to the truth of your word, that it would find a home within us and would transform us. But Father, I pray that the softening work of the Holy Spirit would continue in our lives, that you would soften our hearts to others around us, that where we have bitterness and resentment, Father, that we would be softened and that we would have love and understanding and forgiveness. Father, that we would be soften to the suffering of those about us and become joyful givers and stewards that our resources would be given for the sake of others. Father, soften our hearts to the plight of our world that is lost in the darkness of sin. Soften our hearts that we would become bold in sharing Christ and proclaiming him as Lord and Savior. Father, thank you that you softened our hearts that we would receive Jesus. Continue to soften our hearts that we would live for Jesus. And I ask it in his name. Amen. Our aiming point is still Romans chapter 12. Right? That's why we've been going through 1 through 8. We still have 9 through 11. Uh, we'll get there if Jesus tarries. Um, but that, that will happen. But our, our goal is to get to Romans 12, because it's in Romans 12 where Paul talks about a lot of the things that are part of the Christian life, the things that you need to be doing. And one of the things um, about a list like you find in, in Romans 12, and by the way, there's just commands all over. There's some, some two dozen imperative commands, this is what you need to do or not do, two dozen commands in Romans 12, just verses 9 to 21, right? So it, it's, it's an amazing collection of these things are the expectations of the Christian life. And uh, we've been moving up to that. We've been looking at the grace of God that brings us salvation to understand it's all based on grace. But one of the reasons it's important for us to just pause and really think about the eternal security of the believer, 
That is that once we are saved, God will not let go of us. The devil can't take us away. We can't jump ship. Nobody, no circumstance can separate us from the love of God. The reason that's important is that if you get to Romans chapter 12 and start reading about the things we need to be doing as believers in Jesus Christ, if you're thinking in the back of your mind, I might lose my salvation in all this, you'll become convinced I am losing my salvation in all this. Let me give you an example. Um, and in Romans 12, there's that little verse in there. It says, bless those who persecute you. Take my word for it. It's there. It says, you know, if somebody's persecuting, bless those who persecute you. All right? Now, I don't know that I bless people who persecute me. I bless them out. But I don't, <laughs> I don't bless people who persecute me. If, if you don't think I'm right, just jump in your car drive into Washington, D.C. during rush hour, let that morning commute be a theological experience in which you get back in touch with the old sin nature. Uh, and, and, you know, and even if you're doing well, even if you um, sort of have it down and say, okay, before I get in the car, I'm going to think happy thoughts, happy thoughts. And, and whenever anybody cuts me off, I'm just going to think about bunnies and puppies and things like that. I'm going to be okay. And let's say you get all the way to work, and, and, and that, that's fine, and, you, and you've, you've managed to get by that, that thing, and you walk into the office, and somebody's going to ambush you and just say something, do something, and before you know it, you're right back to where you were. I don't think I'm making this up. I think this is our experience. On a good day, we might make it. On most days, we fail a lot. On bad days, it's just total failure. Now, here's the thing. If my salvation is not secure in Christ, but is dependent upon my uh, level of performance, eventually, I'm going to fail that level of performance, no matter what happens. The other day... I was watching a video about an aircraft carrier. Don't ask why. I was just, I was just watching this video. And uh, the, the uh, scene that was shot was in the um, anchor deck of the, of the aircraft carrier. And this is the spot where they let out the anchor chain to which is attached the anchor. And so, um, and, and they let it out. Now, the, in order to keep an aircraft carrier from, uh, you know, drifting away from, from its, its anchorage, uh, that chain has to be like really, really big. I noticed this, you know, it's, you know, pieces of, of iron or steel or whatever it is these days, you know, about so round with the little pin in the middle and, and, it, and this just is just playing out and all that. And this is like a really big, really heavy, very, very strong chain. Now imagine that that's what God does in our salvation. It's an anchor chain. But we have to supply something else. You know, and it doesn't matter what it is. You can say, well, it's just a tiny thing. All you have to do is supply a, a tiny bit of effort or a tiny bit of intention or just think tiny little thoughts that are good. Just contribute some tiny little thing, just one thing. I'm telling you this, that big, long anchor, anchor chain, strong and heavy as, as it is, if you supply just one link in that chain, you're, you're, you're not going to hold. Because the link you supply, instead of being this massive piece of iron, is going to be a little loop of radio wire. Very thin wire. <laughs> okay? And when that anchor needs to hold, who's going to give way? And it doesn't matter that the rest of the anchor is sure and certain. If my link gives way, the whole thing gives way. And so to say that any part of holding on to our salvation is up to us 
we would have lost it by now. We would have lost it by now. So the reason it's important to know that once we are saved, we are eternally saved, that we have this eternal security of our salvation in Christ, the reason that's important is so that when we get to Romans 12 and we start to talk about the things we need to be doing, that we don't think to ourselves, ah, that's in order to keep my salvation or complete my salvation. We need to understand that is order in order to live out and respond to the grace of God that has saved me. In life. So that's, that's why we're spending some time talking about our eternal security in Christ. Um, and, I, and I say this because there, there's some folks in this room, and you're really, you're really with me on this. You understand this. You're with me because you know that you were saved by the grace of God. You look at your life, and every day of your life you realize, I'm kept by the grace of God. You realize it's grace from start to finish and grace every step in between, and you're tracking with me on this. And so we're, we're together on that. But there's some of you here. And you've been brought up to think or you've been taught to think that God is just looking for an excuse to condemn you all over again. You've been told that the Christian faith is all about guilt and it's all about wrath and judgment. And the moment you slip up, you know, God is going to get you. I mean, we love to do this, especially in youth group, we love to do this. You know, kids won't pay attention. Well, let's try the hell card. You know. You know, if you do that, you're going to hell. Well, it's, it's probably true, except that if you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There's no condemnation. If you're in Christ Jesus, as the Holy Spirit awakens you and just gets a hold of your head, you won't want to do those things, and he'll grow you to those things. You don't need to work on the basis of guilt. Just work on the basis of reality. God loves you. He saved you in Jesus Christ, and he calls you to be a better person than you are. That's not to save you, that's to respond to the grace of God going on. But some of you have come to this place of, of guilt, and, and, and it's led to a place of fear. Maybe God won't save me. Maybe this is, this is just sort of a, um, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, a, a useless endeavor. And, and, I'm, and I, I thought I was saved, but, you know, I'm not saved. I don't see it all that. And, you, and you're going back and forth, and it's because the devil's gotten you to look at yourself and not to look at Jesus. So the reason we're talking about this, the eternal security of the believer, is so that we will have the confidence and the boldness to dare great things in Christ Jesus. That we will go, go and try to do what God wants us to do, knowing that, you know, even if we fail, our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. And so I really will. I'll go out and I'll try to bless those who persecute me. And there's a lot of them everywhere. But you know, if I don't make it, the grace of God is greater. And, he, and you know, if you fail, you falter, he'll pick you back up and he'll get you going again by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's why we're talking about this eternal security is so we will have the boldness to live obedient lives. Right? With me. Okay. Well, let's look at what, what the Scripture says. And actually, I want to go back to the Gospel of John. All right? So if, you, if you've got a Bible in front of you or a text of, of any kind in front of you, turn back to the Gospel of John chapter 6. Uh, John chapter 6, and uh, very quickly, uh, wow. Okay, I'm going to read this real, real fast so that the nursery workers don't get mad at me <laughs> for keeping you over time. But we start at verse 35. Of all things, Jesus is talking to the Jews again. And he, and he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst, never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. He says, you've had the experience, you've seen, you've listened, you've seen me, you don't believe in me. And then he says, here's why. 
all that the Father gives me will come to me. He doesn't say, all who come to me, the Father will give. The giving by the Father precedes the coming. It is God's work before we're even aware of it. It's not that we come to Jesus with the brilliance of our understanding that we've seen him and we've decided, you know, he checks off all the right things in my box of Messiahship, and then we come to Jesus and the Father in heaven says, okay, I think I'll give give that one to Jesus. The Father gives us, and all that the Father gives to the Son will come to him. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will not cast out. Jesus said, you come to me, you're coming because the Father gave you to me. I mean, this is an incredible thing. You know, when you love somebody and you're going to buy them a gift, you, you, you try and find something worthy of that person and you, you find the best gift you can of all. And when the Father wanted to give his son a gift, he didn't give him the glories, you know, the treasures of heaven. He reached down to sinful humanity and he picked us out by name and he gave us to his son. And the son says, when the father gives me a gift like that, I'm never getting rid of it. The son is never going to do to the gift of the father what we do, the gifts given to us. Keep it a year so you can say you kept it and then accidentally put it in the Salvation Army bag, right? The son says, I'll never do that. I'll never cast them out. I'm going to keep that gift precious to me. I'm going to take that gift. I I just had visions. We're we're going to spend all eternity plastered to a heavenly refrigerator by magnets so Jesus can admire the gift of the Father. But that's what he says. So what the Father gives me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So now Jesus is doing the will of the Father. This is the will of him who sent me. This is the will of of the Father, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. This is what God's will is for us, that the Son would lose nothing, nothing. That means if he loses one of us, he's lost something. It might not be much of anything, but he's lost something. He says, the Father's will is that I lose nothing. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Let me tell you, if God gives you eternal life and it turns out that you're not saved eternally, you never had eternal life. You cannot say, I have eternal life if you think you're going to lose eternal life. What you have is not eternal life. What you have is a chance. You've just gotten a lottery ticket. You've just got an opportunity to to make the free throw from the half-court line and win win the prize. You have not anything at all if you can lose it because it's eternal. The only way you can say, I have eternal life, is if you wind up with eternal life. It's the nature of, of the language, all right? So... And we're, I know we're racing through this. And so in him, whoever believes in him, that that person should have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. I love that word, him. And it's not because it's masculine, right? In Greek grammar, the masculine embraces the feminine, so the grammatical gender has nothing to do with, with uh, physical gender. Okay. Look at it. It's singular. 
It doesn't say, I raised them up. And he, he raises a bunch of people up, but he says, the one who believes, I will raise him, singular, up. The eternal security doesn't belong to a group. It belongs to us as individual children of God. It's not that we're saved as long as we're in the group, but we could lose the group, but God saved the group. No, he saves us one by one. I will raise him up, and ladies, her up, because it's singular, and it's singular throughout the, the, the passage in, in the Greek. You know, this, this is a marvelous teaching. So Jesus says, the Father gives them to me, I receive them, and I'm not going to let go of them. In fact, I'm going to make sure they reach the end goal because I will raise him up at the last day. Very quickly over to Rome, uh, Romans, uh, John chapter 10. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I can talk that fast. John chapter 10. And uh, I'm sorry, we're going to have to start at verse 27, which means we're losing a lot of really good verses to get into it. But in verse 27, it says, My sheep hear my voice. I'm sorry, we're going to have to go back up. See, verse 26, he says, you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. He says, you don't believe because you're not one of my sheep. All right? He doesn't say you're not one of my sheep because you don't believe. He says you don't believe because you're not one of my sheep. You get the difference? If you don't, okay. But my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So you're a sheep first, and then you hear the voice, and then you come to Jesus. God chose us way before we ever chose him. God foreknew us. He predestined us. He called us. He justified us. And the wonderful thing is he glorified us, past tense, as if a done deal. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. So the Father gives us to the Son. The Son calls. We hear his voice. We respond, not because we're that smart, but because God is that gracious. And he opens our hearts and minds, and he changes us so that we would hear the voice of the, of the shepherd, and we would come to him. And because he has made us his sheep, we respond to the call of the shepherd, and we come to him. So he says, my sheep, hear my voice, and they come to me, and they'll never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So you got the Father holding us and you have the Son holding us and no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand or the Son's hand, but maybe they're not in agreement. No, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. We're in this together. So the Father gives us to the Son. The Son receives us, makes us eternally secure in his hand and in the hand of the Father. It's all God's doing. We're not done yet. In Ephesians chapter 1 and uh, Okay. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we'll just have to read verses 13. It says, In him, that is in Christ, that, that's the, the antecedent, in Christ Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. God, the Father, gives us to the Son. The Son takes us and holds us in his hand and bestows upon us the Holy Spirit. Who? 
is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. All right, we're sealed in the Holy Spirit. That's sealed. You know what a seal is, right? It's a furry mammal that comes out of the Antarctic. No, this, <laughs> see, you got to listen. A seal at that time was how you made sure that a legal document was binding. It would be written on a piece of parchment or whatever, rolled up, folded together, and it would be tied with a string in several places, and the knot would be covered with wax, and the, and the imprint, the seal of the authority would be placed on it. So you could not break the seal. You could not break the contract. This, by the way, is the little book in the book of Revelation, but that's something else. And so... Uh, that seal, when it says the Holy Spirit is the seal of our salvation, it says the Holy Spirit is how God puts his imprint upon us that says this child of mine belongs to me. That relationship cannot be broken. You cannot sever this relationship. We are sealed in the Holy Spirit. And then he says, who is the first down payment or the guarantee of our salvation? The word means a down payment that's given in promise of the rest. And so God says, this Holy Spirit that you experience today, that's just a little foretaste of glory divine. And when you get to glory, you're going to see all of it. But the Holy Spirit today is the guarantee as you have a foretaste of what God is going to do. So you have the Father who gives us to the Son, who holds us in his hand and bestows upon us the seal and the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our salvation is absolutely secure in him. And he won't let us go, and he won't, won't ever lose track of us. No one can snatch us out. The Father won't. The devil can't. We can't. Circumstances cannot because we are eternally secure in Christ Jesus. Now, that's all introduction. Uh, let me, all I'm going to do is just read the, the last verses of Romans chapter 8. That, that'll be the, the end of the sermon and the end of our time together. But I think by now you can, you can sort of place it into perspective as to what he's talking about and why. So in verse uh, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? These haven't surprised God at all. He knew they were coming. He talked about it when he said in the scriptures, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That word more than conquerors, one word in the Greek, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, nike. it's, it's uh, uh, the word Nike means victory or conqueror. Nike is, is the one word. And the other word is hooper, and from we get the word super from hooper. Don't ask how, but we did. And so it literally, you're super Nikes. <laughs> you are super conquerors. You get a cape and a little emblem to wear on the T-shirt. You know, higher. You know. But you are a super conqueror. You know, and a lot of people use this verse today. Oh, I'm, I'm more than a conqueror, so I can win this ball game and I can pass this test. No, you are a super conqueror because you have faced everything the devil can throw at you. And when the devil threw death at you, God raised you up in the power of Jesus Christ by the power of his resurrection. You are a super conqueror, not because of anything in you, but because of Jesus Christ who has conquered the grave in you. You are a super 
conqueror. There's nothing the world can throw at you that God won't defeat. Remember that. Oh, let's get going. Um, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God our Father in Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing shall separate us. So we're going to keep working through Romans. We're still, we're still working on 12. We've, we've only had three chapters to go, and then we'll be there. Uh, but when we get there, just understand you know, we're on this journey and we're, we're working towards glory and the process of sanctifi- sanctification is going on in us. And not all of you, I guess, but at least enough of you are going to stumble and fail sometimes, and every now and then you're going to falter. Occasionally, you're even going to be at your wit's end and exhausted. But here's the deal. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Absolutely nothing. And that is our boldness. So I, I want you to have that boldness about living for Christ. I want you to do all those things that Jesus said you should do that are impossible, things like forgiving people, Jesus said, I want you to forgive. That the way God the Father forgives you, I want you to forgive others. And when you're done forgiving and you've run out of forgiveness, then keep on forgiving. I want you to do that. I want you to do things like turn the other cheek. I want you to be merciful and show mercy because God showed mercy on you. I want you to do all those kinds of things that you didn't think you can do. But go ahead and do them. And you know, if it doesn't work out, the Holy Spirit is there to pick you up and keep you going because nothing will ever separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's bow for prayer together. And Father in heaven, I'm just so thankful for overwhelming grace, the grace that overwhelmed our sin and brought us to the cross, that grace that opened our hearts that we would embrace and claim Jesus as Lord that grace that sustains us now and guides us now and and shapes our lives now. I thank you for grace. And, Father, I pray that you would ever keep us focused on who you are and what you are doing and the fact that it is not of us, but it's you. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us in this incredible way, a love that will never let us go, a love that is certain and secure. Father, thank you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.